Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. If there is one thing that I get the most diverse reactions we're talking about on the podcast, it is money. Some people think it's the root of all evil. Some people think it's awesome (laughs) and everywhere in between. But one thing is for sure, women have specific socialization around money, around not talking about money, around not being seen to want money, around not advocating for money. And what we know happens is that then who ends up with more money? It's not women, right? And this is intensified for any marginalized identity that you inhabit. Something we talk about quite a lot in the advanced certification and feminist coaching is the ways in which socialization around money starts very early for women and predisposes them to focus on budgeting, on being thrifty, on not monetizing things, on sort of delivering work and service and effort out of love and emotion, whereas men are socialized to think about making money, creating money, investing, taking risks, charging for their services, all of that stuff. So whether you're danders up or you're totally on board, I really recommend you listen to this episode. It's an amazing conversation with three of my colleagues, coaches. They all are students of mine who went through my advanced certification in feminist coaching, but were already well-experienced coaches before that. And we are really digging into talking about money, gender, race, mindset, and how all of those things combine to keep women more economically dispossessed by a magnitude of however many (laughs) exponentially based on how many marginalized identities they live in. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I thought it was rich and fascinating, and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. Let's take it away. Okay, my chickens, I'm so excited for this conversation today, because if there's one thing that I feel like every woman needs to unfuck her brain about, really every person Actually, now that I think about it, it's like everything, body image, all those things, but it is money. And this is the one, the conversation that's the hardest to have because when I talk about body image, everybody's like, yes, yes, help me unfuck my body image. Like, that's so great. And if I talk about money, half the people are like, oh my God, why are you such a greedy fuck? Why are you always talking about money? Like people, right? So it is like, in some ways, I think we still have such a taboo talking about it and it is such a thornier topic. So I'm so excited for this conversation. I have three of my students, coaching colleagues, all of those things who went through my advanced certification in feminist coaching, two of whom are actually clutch coaches right now as well. And so they, all three of them, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but they all specialize in money coaching, one kind and another. So we're just going to really get into it. Like what do women need to need coaching on around money? Why is it so controversial for a woman to talk about making money? Like, I just feel like those male coaches are not getting does like Gary V get a lot of messages about how he shouldn't talk about money? I just feel like probably it's less than the messages that women get, and especially if you live in one or more marginalized identities. So let's just take this away. I'm going to call on you guys to introduce yourselves so everybody knows when to talk, and then we'll just have a free-for-all. Natasha, you want to introduce yourself? Just tell us your name and your niche. and Yeah, for sure. Hey, everyone. My name is Natasha Tekesti, and I am a money mindset coach. 
So I specifically coach women on their beliefs about money in order to help them earn more money. So either at work or start a side hustle, grow their business, all of that fun drama that they have about their money mindset. And I'm also a coach in the clutch. So all of the chickens in our clutch membership group, I am one of your coaches. Yay. All right. What about you, Shanique? Hi, I'm Shanique Virtus and I'm a confidence coach. So I coach women on confidence in the workplace and in their business. And of course, money always, always comes up as the underlying thread and theme. Love it. How about you, Kelly? I am Kelly Jackson. I'm also a clutch coach. And in my own coaching practice, I'm a general life coach, but I specialize in coaching direct sales people. And so like starting a direct sales business oftentimes has to do with scarcity, money scarcity. And when that pattern plays out, people don't end up becoming successful in their direct sales business because they just keep finding reasons that they're not good enough and they're never going to have enough money. And it's a cycle that perpetuates. I'm so fascinated by this. Actually, I want to start with you because I think like there's so much hate of the direct sales industry, like so much, right? And I think it's so fascinating because it feels to me like this. I mean, I don't have a, as my judge used to say, I ain't got a dog in this hunt. Like I don't do direct sales and I don't have a really position on it. But I do just think it's kind of fascinating because it's such a field that's so heavily populated by women, right? Like most of direct sales is women. And I feel like the criticism of it is very like, these poor women don't know what's happening to them. And then they just get like fooled by the, it's just like such an interesting conversation around it, which I don't feel like we hear around male entrepreneurship, like in the same way. I'm just curious what your thoughts about that. Yeah. So I actually see the direct sales industry as a feminist endeavor and becoming successful in direct sales as a feminist endeavor, because there is so much stigma that you have to fight back against. And part of that is about, oh, the poor women are being victimized and, and, and all of this stuff that just perpetuates the bullshit that we already receive. And so it's like compounding it and making it so much more dramatic. I think that's a lot of what happens. So interesting. All right. So your question for all of you guys, I'm just curious to hear kind of what you see come up the most, I think in clients and coaching around women, I think because I have this social justice bent, I get a lot of sort of people with like having a lot of conflicted feelings about making money, which I definitely did in the beginning also. And I can like obviously be on my soapbox about this for like 45 minutes. But the sum up is basically, if you decide not to make the money, who do you think is going to make it? Jeff Bezos. So (laughs) that's my short pitch. But like, I think I get a lot of like, you know, it's wrong, it's bad, it's inherently exploitative, it's inherently whatever to make money. But I'm curious what you guys see come up, kind of like, what are the biggest challenges women have around money? Yeah, I can jump in here. I think that a lot of my clients are just so worried about what other people will think about them for wanting money and for wanting to make Mm. more money. They think it inherently means they're greedy, and that they're bad people, and that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and that it's wrong. So they have Mm -hmm. so much like guilt and shame tied up. And I also think that they like, it's almost like they're so caught up in that like drama and that bullshit that they can't even figure out what it is that they want for themselves. Like they don't know whether it's that they want to make more money or Mm -hmm. if they want to go after a promotion or start a business. They're just so consumed with it's already greedy. I, I can't even look into this. How did you end up picking this niche? Like what was your kind of money 
thought work journey. Yeah, that's so interesting that you've asked that. It's This is something I've always been interested in because just for context for people who don't know me, I'm biracial and I grew up as a first generation Canadian. And so I didn't really think that money was for me. I didn't really grow up with a lot of money. I didn't think that money was something that was for people who looked like me or grew up in my same circumstances. I really just thought it was for maybe like old, rich, white people or like, you know, old, rich people, men, things that people that fell outside of my identities. And then when I graduated from university and I started making some money, I almost kind of like realized that one of the like best resistance that I could like have against society and against what society was telling me what was for me was to just like increase my wealth and increase my position and my power in my communities. I see like making more money as a social justice endeavor because now I have money to choose where I want to spend it. What businesses do I want to support? What organizations do I want to donate my money to? Like it gives me so much more power. And that's why I'm so passionate about women making more money, people with other marginalized identities making more money. I think it just helps maybe shift and change some of the oppressive structures that we already have in place in society. Yeah. I mean, Rachel Rogers, you know, the coach who has a book out called We Should All Be Millionaires, did this live with Sonia Renee Taylor for her book tour. That was great. And one of the things that I think was Sonia Renee Taylor was saying was like, okay, so like the people who set the values and agenda for the society, what you're telling me is like, oh, money is bad. You shouldn't want any. We have a lot of money. But money is bad and like no one else should want any, like you woman, you person of color, you black person in America, like, no, no, like money's bad. You don't want any of this. That would be unethical, right? It's like such a like interesting way of looking at it of like, okay, well, who does this benefit when we think that money is bad and that women shouldn't have money, people of color shouldn't have money, marginalized people shouldn't have money? Like who even created this whole myth was the people who already have the money (laughs) who are like, no, no, you don't want any of this. It's bad for you. There's so much more morality associated with money. And then women think that if they, once they've made more money, they immediately have to give it away in order to be a good Mm -hmm. person. Like, I can't even just keep it for myself. Yeah. I want. Or they spend it, right? Like, compulsive spending, the inability to like hold on to the money because they're like conflicted. They've like changed their thoughts enough to bring it in, but then they can't see themselves as somebody with wealth. So they have to spend it immediately. Yeah. They haven't changed that cycle about themselves. Yeah. So good. What about you, Shanique? Where do you see this come up a lot? I see scarcity come up a lot in money conversations, that there's this idea that there's a pie and that there are only so many slices that you can get. Mm -hmm. Once you've reached a certain level, a certain income level, it's almost impossible to want more or to actually obtain more. And so in that scarcity, I see women shortchanging themselves and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where there's not enough. I can't ask for more. So I end up staying stuck in this Mm -hmm. um, space that I'm in. Or I've actually even seen the reverse where women have you know, decreased their own income as a result of thinking that there's not enough. And it's interesting because there's this want. And I think it ties into what Natasha was discussing about wanting money being bad for women or thinking that it's a bad thing to want more money. So then there's this push-pull where I really want this money. I'm doing everything. I'm investing in university. I'm investing in myself, in my clothing, and everything, accruing debt, because this is the path to getting more money. Mm-hmm. However, let me now self-sabotage because money is evil and I can't have it. And I can't even imagine myself having money. Yeah. And of course, sometimes people are pursuing money for reasons that are, I don't think as coaches, we don't judge them good or bad, but just not going to 
get them what they want, right? I mean, it's like money is inherent. It's neutral. It's just a resource. Like food, sometimes people eat food for reasons that are great and feel good <laughs> in their bodies. And sometimes, right, they do it for like emotional eating to numb out and it feels terrible. And like the same thing with money, right? It's not always good or always bad. Those are all our made up thoughts, right? Sometimes people are pursuing money because I don't think it's like because they're bad people, but like from a compulsive place of like, oh, this will make me feel safe or I have to have this to feel okay or right. I'm going to be happy when I get there. I have to earn more than my brother to feel okay about myself or like whatever reasons they're doing it right? But that's not money's fault, right? Just like it's not food's fault if you eat it a certain way. It's just the vehicle that that's getting like acted out in, right? I think that scarcity is such a big thing. The thing I I think women often seem to think is like that it's like this fixed amount of money in the world. So if I get money, I'm taking it from someone else, which is like also hilarious because A, we made up the whole concept. Like we made up currency, then we made up printed money. Literally the mint prints money. Like it's literally not a fixed thing in the world. Right. But that's the thought is like, if I get it, I'm taking it from someone else. Right. But like, we don't go to the grocery store. We're not like, if I buy this tomato, like I'm taking it from someone else. I can't have more than one tomato. (laughs) We know that it's renewable. We know that we can grow more tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah. We can grow more tomatoes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think like, I see this as like the analogy I often think about with this stuff is recycling, where people have so much moral judgment about individual recycling decisions on a small scale when in fact, like 80% of pollution is caused by corporate pollution, not recycling. And like individual recycling actually doesn't make that big of a difference in corporate pollution. And I feel like that's what happens with money where people are like mad at the person next to them who's making 300,000 or even 3 million or whatever. And it's like, no, actually the structural problem is like that billionaires don't pay any taxes, right? Like this is the problem that's creating all of the inequality is that Jeff Bezos and George Soros and whoever like don't pay federal income taxes on their $20 billion fortunes. It's not like the person at your kid's preschool who is right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I think that that scarcity gets like misdirected as the, it's like people arguing over pennies and as though like, it's sort of like people think if I care about global inequality, then I can't make money myself. Right. Or like if I believe economic inequality is an issue, then I can't try to make money myself as opposed to like, these are actually like, they're connected, but they're not the same thing. And they're doing it service, right? Because right. it's like, well, then I, who do I want to be making more money? If we're going to use Jeff Bezos as an example, do I want him to be making more money? Or do I want right. someone like me or other women or other people living in marginalized identities to be making more money? Right. right. And I think the other part of that is that we have this idea that money and happiness are so intertwined mm-hmm. that yeah. it just seems like it's a fact and it just makes sense. Right. And so when you try to kind of like, wiggle that belief a little bit it's like people's brains like explode because they they can't even see that you know making three hundred thousand dollars if that's your goal isn't going to make you feel happy or feel safe you have to create that for yourself you have to intentionally decide to believe that you can be safe or happy no matter what and you can go off after the money if that's what you want and the things that money can buy that people do need like shelter food and medical care that's a government structural problem we have that's not solved by you not starting your business, right? Or like that doesn't exist because it's bad to want or have money, right? That exists because of like the deep capture of the political state by like corporate donations, right? Like I just think there's so much conflation of like structural economic problems with like individual morality when it comes to money and these things all get mixed together when in fact they're like totally different things. What were you going to say, Shanique? I think you were trying to get in here and then Kelly. Yeah, I think that what I have found, sometimes I ask clients, so what's your biggest dream? 
why do you want this money? And they cannot answer that question. Mm -hmm. And they cannot tap into that emotion of pleasure and desire, whatever the thing is that they want. Mm -hmm. So they want money and they're scrambling and they're working really hard to get it, but they don't know why. And I think you can make money up to a certain point, but really sustaining it and increasing it in the absence of pleasure and desire, which Mm -hmm. we know women struggle with. Yep, yep because it's such a moral issue is what keeps women from making more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has to be fun. Also, otherwise, what's the point? Like right. I said, right. Like it's not going to be fun when you get there. If you're not having fun on the way, it's not fun when you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plenty of people are like miserable in their beach mansions, right? Like money. Right. You know? <laughs> maybe they didn't desire a beach mansion, right? If they yeah, maybe about not. That. <laughs> I do think it's interesting. Like the way people grow up gives them such different perspectives on it. Like, so I grew up around a lot of people who did have money and some people who are really extremely wealthy, which my family was not, but like my grandfather was the dean of NYU medical school. And so a lot of like my grandparents' friends were the kind of people who like donate pavilions to medical schools, you know, like have jets, et cetera. And like, if you ever hang out with those people, you are not like, well, money really makes you happy. <laughs> Just like if you're like around. So I had my own stuff. I was much more on the like, oh, I don't want like people who like money are like bad people. They don't have the right values. Like that was my thing. I did not have the problem of thinking like, oh, when I get that, I'll be happy because it was so obvious to everybody, right? But it's like, everybody's got their thing. People who grew up without money sometimes think like, oh, well, when you have it, then you're happy and you don't worry and everything's fine, right? If you grew up around it, I don't think you think that because you see rich people who are just like everybody else in that mental suffering way. But instead you develop whatever kind of like whole ethical moral judgment system you have about, you know, like people who like certain kinds of money or how they get it or just, it's like such a judgy area. What were you going to say, Kelly? Yeah, that's actually what I was going to bring up is the idea of the individual morality, because we also have the false dichotomy that we somehow need to choose between love and money, you know, or, or, or something like that. Like you can't have, you can do what you love or you can make money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you are doing what you love, then you're not going to make money at it because obviously the things that are passions of the heart are not going to fulfill you financially or or whatever. And that there's just not a way to do both. And that there's like a moral idea too, that if you are poor, then you're a better person Mm -hmm. and you know, all of this stuff, which kind of goes into what you were saying. And I think for a lot of people, they kind of hold both at the same Mm -hmm. time and then they're fucked either way. Like if you make more money, then you try to get rid of it because money is bad. Money is the root of all evil and that kind of stuff. But then if you don't make money, well, then you limit your choices there too. And you, you know, aren't good enough to make money and you think that you're bad with money and all of this. And there's just no winning. Yeah. I feel like money is like this thing where people are like, well, coaching doesn't apply to money. You know, it's like the model doesn't apply. It's like money is like, that's just all the thoughts about money are a circumstance and like, you know, inequality is a circumstance caused by money. It's like, I think to me, the biggest thing I see is misunderstanding. It's like people think that money causes things in and of itself when of course it's just a resource that humans use in different ways. So we could have no money and the people who have models that lead to them whatever, stealing other people's shit would do that anyway, right? Or like whatever people are doing, like whatever things that you see in the world, we could be trading rocks, right? And like the people who had the most rocks would do the thing. It is such like religious thinking in a way. It's sort of like, it has this like force that it makes you do these things, right? Or like it, that it like people think like if I make money, then I'll become this person. 
right? Like it's also, especially in like the digital world, it's so insane because you're like, if the pixels on the screen change and say a different amount, then I will become a bad person. Like it's such weird magical thinking. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's like we're not even using cash or <laughs> right. It's just like mostly <laughs> right. And but we're like, if that screen, like, what if you had a mistake in your bank account one day and the screen said a million dollars? You'd be like, oh my god, I'm a bad person now. I'm selfish and greedy. And then the next day they're like, oh, that was a mistake. Like, oh, okay, no, I'm not. It's so crazy. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But people ascribe these like magical qualities to it, which is so interesting. I'm not sure if there's other things we do that with. I'm trying to think, but I think the similarities in thoughts and conversations, we talked about this a little bit, but it's like weight loss and money kind of go hand Mm -hmm. in hand. People think when they make a certain amount of money or have like maybe a million dollars or whatever, then they're going to feel happy all the time. They think once they hit their goal weight, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. they're going to feel happy all the time. They're not going to have any problems. I think it's that same type of magical Mm -hmm. thinking. Like that's the exit round, as you always put Tara, off the human. Even though, right, they know all these thin people who still have problems, right? who like still have negative emotion, who still get divorced, who still get fired or quit their jobs or whatever, right? What we think that like money is this protective amulet that's going to make us feel safe. And again, I think that gets conflated because yes, in our society, you do need money. Well, I mean, you don't need necessarily money to live in a house or eat. Somebody else could give it for you, but it has to be exchanged on some level. But that doesn't mean that it creates your feelings, right? And that doesn't mean that it has some sort of power to like change who you are as a person. No, we're, like, we're sold this idea that we can now buy happiness. We right. get that all the time through advertisements and media. And so that's what we think happens with money. And so when we start to disassociate it and just see it as this neutral circumstance in our lives that we get to decide what we think or make it mean or whatever about it, yeah. that's when we take our power and our authority back. Yeah, so good. I think maybe one of the differences in money and weight loss in that respect is that when you are trying to lose weight, you probably do have people in your life who are thin that you can then use as evidence of like, oh, thin people also think that life sucks sometimes. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes in terms of economic mobility, like you may not be surrounded by people who are in a different economic class than you are. And so you don't necessarily have as much access to that evidence. So I wonder if that is part of why coaching on money might be a little bit different and a little more difficult for people to wrap their heads around. Wait, I just realized something. This is so crazy. The people who think the lack of economic mobility is the biggest issue also don't think that people should try to make money, which is what would change their economic mobility. Isn't that interesting? Right? Like if we're the people who are like the lack of economic mobility is a problem in American society. And then we were like, hi, we're here to teach people how to make money. You'd be like, no, that's bad. Yeah. Because money is the root of all evil. That's why we have economic inequality. Like there's something so circular about that thought pattern. That's blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah. What do you think, Shanique? My mind's being blown as well. I'm thinking about a snake eating its tail. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the Oberos, like what? So how did you Wait, come what? to, I know you came to like confidence coaching instead of money specifically, but mm-hmm. I know like you've done your own money coaching. I'm curious, kind of like what was your like money thought work journey? So my money thought work journey, I think it was the most contentious relationship that I've had in my entire life. I think <laughs> you and money. <laughs> yes. You're like, puts ex-boyfriends or girlfriends to shame. It's just me exactly. and money. And I think part of it is, you know, I am a black woman. I'm first generation American. I grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. And New York City being diverse from one block to another, you can see extreme wealth or you can see poverty. Yeah. And being in the middle, it was okay, which side? Like you've got to pick a side. Very right, black and right. white thinking. 
Yeah. And coming from an immigrant background, obviously my parents came here for a better life. So there was always this pull from me internally to always get more money, mm-hmm. make money, make money, make money. But also then this guilt of, well, money's bad. Um, what if people know you make too much money? People will think differently, right? That mm-hmm. primitive brain of if I make too much money, what will my family and friends think? Mm-hmm. I will have to make new friends and I will be cast aside. Those thoughts are so persistent. I know you have more to say about this, but I just like it amazing. I was coaching one of my friends the other day who's a seven-figure business owner and it was about scaling her business. And she was like, I've been coaching her this whole time. So I know she had this thought at 100,000, at 200,000, right? All the way. She's making a million dollars. And she was like, but then like my family will blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I think if everybody's still with you at a million, they're going to stay with you for like two or five. Like, I think people who are leaving the building because you make money, they've already left the building. Like you've already made a million dollars. But that's like how persistent that thought pattern is. Like we just bring it along with us, even though it's so nonsensical to be like, people love me if I make a million, but if I make a million five, that's it. They're going to be like, that's too much money. Now I hate you. And the money thoughts just got more and more painful the more money I made. Right. Right. It's like a magnifier, (laughs) right? Right. And so that's when I knew, all right, I need to fix this. I need to do thought work. I joined the clutch. I certified as a coach to really understand the model and how neutral money is and understanding these underlying thoughts, my marginalized identities and how that created my thoughts that I have around money and healing that relationship that I have with money, which is still a journey. I mean, once you fix, and I'm using air quotes, one money thought, <laughs> right. there are a thousand other money thoughts totally. behind. And it's that willingness to be uncomfortable, to feel the guilt, the fear, and the shame in your money thoughts that help fix the money thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like what's your favorite money thought that you're practicing right now? Oh, my favorite money thought. Or just one that, that you I believe practice. now that you like. I actually believe like money is a neutral circumstance. Like I have to tell myself that yeah. over and over again. Yeah, I think even that is like, we're just raised with this. So I'm trying to think what else, like, are there other things in our society that we are raised with such a like, this is a bad thing that corrupts? I guess to me, it feels so religious because it feels like original sin. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a bite of the apple. It's like, get a cash dollar in your hand and all of a sudden you're going to like, right, become this totally different person and like fall from grace and become corrupt and wealth, you know, we give it so much power. I guess sex also we get like socialized yeah. pretty but, but Of course, being women... Right. You get that. Like you said, the apple. And I remember specifically being in Catholic school and hearing, well, there's sin in the world because a woman ate an apple. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Like being traumatized by that at the age of six, like, oh my goodness, I'm a <laughs> sinner, natural born <laughs> sinner. <laughs> yeah. It's good to know everybody gets their own. Jews are being traumatized with the Holocaust at like six years old, but Christians <laughs> are being traumatized with original sin at six years old. I'm curious what you guys think, like, what is the different socialization that men and women get around money? Like, we talked about this a bunch in in the advanced certification in feminist coaching. And, you know, some of the curriculum talked about the statistical side of it, which is like, women are encouraged to save money and men are encouraged to earn money, right? And like, from a young age, women are taught about like budgeting and being thrifty. And then men are taught about like making money. So it's like so gendered. And I think about all, all the time with like the, as a coach and as somebody who is mission driven, of course, there's that like, well, you can't be mission driven at like mission and profit are completely unacceptable together somehow. But also, I just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't hang out with a ton of male coaches, but I just suspect that like, there's not as much vitriol about them making money in their businesses as women get because I think we're supposed to just like want to help everybody which like, I do want to help everybody, but it's like making money somehow means like your intentions. Women are supposed to have pure intentions. 
right? I don't feel like men are required to have pure intentions in what they do, but like women are supposed to be selfless and giving only and pure intentioned and like not want anything for themselves. And I don't know, I'm just curious if you guys, I know we mostly, most of us work with women clients or people socialize as women, but I'm curious what you see, if anything, about like the differences in how women and men think about money or socialize about money or are treated around money. In my experience within the drug sales industry, I saw a lot of difference between the way men and women think about money. Mm. Most of my team members that I have had over the years are heterosexual women. And so when it came to whether or not they could even invest in Mm. a business, whether or not they could invest in inventory, they had to ask permission. When it came to the amount of money that they were bringing in, then there became a relationship dynamic struggle because mm. they were making more money and then realized they could make more money. They had the ability and the permission to do so. Mm-hmm. And that just like changed the way they showed up in their relationship, which then changed mm-hmm. the relationship dynamic even more. And there was such an idea that women aren't allowed to make money. And if they do, then they have to like give it over to their family or give it over to their husband or their male partner or whatever. And that is not something that I ever saw in reverse ever. And conversely women get like the flip side. We shouldn't discount also like, I feel like one of the ways that people are socialized on money that does work to women's detriment, but can seem a positive is like a woman can still now conceivably be like, well, I think I'm just going to like work till I get married and then I want to stay home and I'm going to go like find a husband who's going to support me. Like, I think women are raised with the idea that like, some of them, at least, that's one of the options. Now, that probably differs by race and class and other identities, but I don't think men of any, <laughs> right, like race, class, whatever, are raised with that idea that's sort of like it's possible for them to like opt out of being the one who makes no, money I mean, or thinks about money. They're the ones who have to make the money to support their family. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Exactly. Like women are sort of the way we're socialized. The downside, obviously, is women have about make money. But like, there's also this, a little bit of that privilege where we're sort of like, where some women at least are socialized to kind of think that they can like not mm-hmm. have to deal with it forever, sort of, or that, that, that this is like something, I think men experience that pressure more of like, I have to make money if I'm going to be married and have a family, like I have to be the provider. That's my job, which is like also not, you know, great for them either. And then you get the reverse problem of men feeling emasculated if a woman does make more money, right? Or like feeling like that there's that money masculinity connection. Yeah, patriarchy right? fucks everybody. Like, <laughs> no, totally. Everybody. But it's just important to remember to talk about it sometimes since, you know, and again, obviously that varies, like depending on your background and community it may not be an expectation that you would get married or that anybody's going to make enough to support a family in a lot of communities. Both people are going to need to work, right? There's a lot of different kinds of privilege that go into that. What do we think is the solution to this. Do we think that everybody should make money? Should all women go out and make money? I think it's about people who want to make money, knowing that it's an option and available to them. Like this isn't me telling you, you need to make money. And that Natasha's is coming to your house. If you haven't made money by next week, <laughs> I'm going to force you to make more money. No, it's recognizing that this choice is available to you, maybe regardless of the circumstances of your life. Like this is something that you can empower yourself to do if that is what you want. But I think people don't even question it or think about it. And then if you don't want it, then that's also a viable option that you can make on purpose instead of just being the default that you think has to happen. 
or telling yourself that you can't. It's like sometimes I feel like people tell themselves they can't do something when they actually just don't want to do it, but they don't like know they can just say that, right? So that it like has to become this whole drama. Yeah. Like I think about that with co- the kind of compulsory, like romantic heteronormativity kind of thing that like, I think some people, I think some women who just don't want to get married or be partnered, like they can't even conceptualize that that's a thing. So instead they have to like, pretend to themselves they want to and like date on like avoidant people and unavailable people and like be constantly in some kind of crisis around their romantic life because they just like don't truly actually know that they could just opt out of it. Right. But they don't actually want it. So then there's this like push pull. And I feel like people do that with money also. I think that goes back to the desire thing that Shernique was talking about that too. Like if we don't give ourselves permission to desire, then we don't even know what it is that we want. Mm -hmm. And why do I want or not want it too? Like there could be valid reasons on either side, but we don't even give ourselves the chance to explore that. Or explore what we want out of life in general. I think most of us don't really think about that. Like what does life look like 10, 20, 15 years from now? And money helps facilitate a lot of those decisions. But if we're not even willing to go there and experience that and just let life happen to us, where, okay, someone gave me a job and I'm using air quotes again, because as women, I find when I'm coaching women, there's this thought that somehow the money that you receive is an exchange or is a gift, is more of a charity. And you did not complete <laughs> services in order to earn that. Yeah, because women think yeah. they're imposters. So they're like, well, I go and yeah. I pretend I can do my job. And then mm-hmm. they give me money, which is a gift. <laughs> That's yes. how we're like thinking about our yeah. careers. <laughs> I see that a lot. Like my background is in HR. And I saw that a lot with just colleagues and coworkers and people in, in work environments that I've coached. It's that they don't even see that they're the ones who created the money that they have. Mm-hmm. They got the education, yeah. they got the skills and the training, got the job, show up to work every single day. It's not the paycheck that's just like happening to them. They've put in that work to create the money that they already have. Totally. I think that's so true. And people think when they're switching to be an entrepreneur that it's like, but I can't even think that way. I don't know how. I've never sold anything before. And I'm like, what the fuck do you think a job interview is? Right? Like you're selling yourself. Hi, I have the skills you need. I will do a good job. You should hire me. But I totally think you're right. I think women in particular at like have this thought process as though, yeah, the money that an employer gives them is like, yeah, it's given to them. They didn't create it. They didn't earn it. Right? And then there's all of that. Yeah, that scarcity. I do think it's such an interesting like, like I don't think that the guys who run hedge funds think there's a scarcity of money. Right? But it's like, Women think they're scarcity. Marginalized people think they're scarcity. And it's such a mindfuck because there has historically been scarcity of resources for those communities, right? Or at least under like, you know, in Western Europe and under colonialism and under slavery. So it's that's like an artificial scarcity, right? That's not because it has to be scarce, but then we get confused and we think scarcity is the state of things. And then we either are in scarcity or we're like, well, I can't take any of that because it's scarce. So... I have to leave it for somebody else. And seeking it would make me a bad person. So yeah, it's almost like to taking it would make me a bad person or even selling whatever it is that I want to sell, like my my talents or whatever my skills are. Selling that would make me a bad person. I should just give it away or I should charge a more money for it. Right. We haven't even talked about like why sales is such a dirty word, right? There's such a like that selling something automatically means you're like, a bad car salesman who's trying to sell a lemon to an unsuspecting nun who has to take it to like give the leprosy medication. Like that's the kind of thing that like, that's what happens when you're selling, which is so crazy because like if somebody has something that I want, 
I'm like, please tell me about it. I'm like happy to be sold to. I am a great customer. I love exchanging what I have for something that I want, which is just like how human civilization works. Because otherwise, like the person who has the apple tree, like can only eat apples and the person who has the chicken can only eat eggs. Like this is not inherently a, you know, a negative thing, but there is such a like, I think that's also like, that's the biggest block I think for entrepreneurs also is that sort of like that selling, being sold to. There's like this weird association with selling someone and fooling them. Right. Like we say, like you get sold on something. Um, I was going to say, it's like, I think that with my clients, they don't see the value in it themselves. So either it's their value at work as an employee or their value as an entrepreneur, whatever it is they're selling. So I always tell them, I'm like, you have to sell yourself on it first before you talk to anyone about it, because they're not, (laughs) they're not going to see the value for you. You need to be in that place. Right or else you're not going to be able to want to share it with anyone at all. And that happens with promotions and raises and stuff too, right? This is not just about being an entrepreneur. Like people, women are sort of more like, okay, well, I'll like wait until it happens to me, right? Somebody else will see my value because, you know, a good woman wouldn't be out there like talking about how great she is. I'm just supposed to like wait for someone, usually a man, to recognize my value, choose me and elevate me, right? And like give me this, you know, I can't ask for it. I can't argue for it. I have to just like wait until someone sees me and then maybe they'll give me this little bit of whatever as opposed to, I don't think that men are socialized like that. Men are like, hi, I'm here and I'm amazing. Here's what you should give me. (laughs) Right? Like it's just such different socialization. All right. So if each of you had to tell the listeners like one thing that you think they should take away from this conversation, something like action, but like what is a thought they should work on or something they can practice seeing or thinking? What is like your number one recommendation for money thought work for them? I like to think of money as being a resource to allow you to become more of what you already are. Mm, I like it. I think mine is, I really think of money as, I mean, sometimes I say I think of money, it's just, it's like an energy, but really what I just mean is like, it's just a resource. Yeah. It's just a, people use it for all sorts of things. Some of which I have positive opinions about some of which I have negative opinions about. Right. But those are just my opinions and money as a resource magnifies whatever it is you want to do or not do or already thinking and believing or not thinking and believing. But it's not a magic object. It's not like a cursed ring that turns you into a, you know, demon. Like it's not like a a magic object that makes people a certain way. People are a certain way because of their thoughts and money is something they use. It's like if when you gave people hammers, some of them use them to hit other people. And we were like, hammers are cursed. It is very bad to own a hammer. It's like, well, no, some people use hammers for purposes we don't agree with. It's not the hammer inherently, because it's also like money is used to do things we all think are amazing all the time. And then it's also used to do things we don't think are amazing, right? It's a neutral resource. Then we have thoughts about the way other people choose to use it. I think for me, what I would offer is as a first step, what if you just questioned your beliefs about money? Like everything that's running through your mind, what if you just questioned that maybe that wasn't true and what else might be possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think some of these beliefs are so ingrained in our minds and that we don't even see other opportunities or other possibilities for them. So I would just start by like... Yeah, like what do you think about money? Write it all down. Those are actually beliefs, not circumstances. Exactly. Those are truths of the world around you. Those are just things you've accepted as true. And what if they weren't? Yeah. All right, Shanique, last word. Oh, these are good ones. 
I'd like to tell everyone to lead with curiosity when it comes mm-hmm. with money. Like, be curious and be non judgmental to really think about their thoughts, what they think of others, what they think about money in general, because I think that's where a lot of the healing and uncovering comes from. And letting everyone know that it's okay if it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think the first sign of discomfort, people run away and go to another topic, like weight loss or relationships and just mm-hmm. run away from money, which we discuss is can be very uncomfortable. So I'd say get curious and sit with the discomfort because there's a lot more to uncover. And it is very rewarding once you do uncover mm-hmm. that. Yeah, this reminds me of this is a perfect closing. It was when I was doing the Brooke Castillo, my teacher and I, we had planted this retreat in person for, and then COVID happened. So we did like an online version of it. It was very small. And one of the women we coached was somebody who wanted to have a coaching practice, but all of her thoughts were that capitalism is terrible. Making money is terrible. She wanted to have an anti-capitalist practice. She didn't want to charge any money or she was going to be a collective or whatever, which is all totally fine. Totally, you know, great model. So that's what you want to do. But the thing that we both, Brooke and I coached her on was like, that is amazing and awesome. And decide that after you truly see it's optional and know you could make a lot of money if you wanted to and could choose to believe that that was awesome, right? Like that's that curiosity, right? Like, sure, you can totally go back to thinking that it's awful and terrible and causes all the evil in the world once you know that thought is actually optional, right? So be curious about what the other side looks like. And I think we have to like create our own. Like the options aren't just money is for hoarding to make me feel good and money is bad and hurts people. Those aren't the only two options. Like those narratives have been created by a society that was not really built by or for most of us who listen to this podcast. And so we have to create our own beliefs about what money is, our own set of value systems around money and not expect that it's going to match the rest of the world, that the rest of the world is going to agree with us. But when women opt out of doing that work, that just means that people who aren't you and don't have your values are the ones making the money. If your belief is it's bad or selfish or wrong to make money, well, all you're doing is guaranteeing that people who have different values than you are the ones making all the money. So you're the one perpetuating that at that point, right? It's actually your responsibility. You're the one creating that in the world. So good. Thanks for coming on, you guys, and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. This was amazing. Yeah, it's my first podcast ever. Your first podcast. Yes, I'm the best. You did it. You did great. I would have guessed 10th or 15th at least. Thank you. All right, chickens. Go think about money. Make some money. At least think about making some money and be curious about it. I'll talk to you guys next week. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things on Fuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.